Are you ready for this? Okay, that's good. Um, Chris, I walked in this morning and Chris said to me uh, something about the talk. Uh, and I said, oh, it's like a, it's like a buffet at the moment. Um, I've got loads of bits, but I'm not really sure what's gonna, what we're going to put together. It's a bit like ready, steady, cook at the moment. To be, well, it's like I've got lots of, we've got lots of ingredients in a bag and let's see what happens. So we're, we're going to pray. You're going to need to. Um, you're, and uh, if you've got a, a, a pad or something, he- making notes is really going to help you. So a, a pad, if phones, it's fine in case you, you might get distracted, but that's, that's down to you. But I would really encourage you, every week, try and remember to bring a Bible and a pad. You can make notes in your Bible. Um, it's not sacrilege. The book isn't holy like that. That's okay. It's all good. We don't keep it on a cushion or anything. Um, and so I would really encourage you to make notes today and to try and remember to bring a, a Bible and a notepad each week. But anyway, let's pray. Just make, just in this moment, take a deliberate action to say, teach me, God. I want to learn to be changed. I want to learn in order that I may be changed. God, we're not interested in learning stuff that puffs us up. We're not interested in increasing our knowledge as such. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to be more like the person you've made us to be. We want to live out of the design that you have for us. We're hungry, God. And God, for anyone who's feeling a bit sleepy and like they might nod off, keep making them jump, God. Amen. I did it once. I said about God coming down and he's going to do mighty things. I This guy in the front row honestly went about four foot in the air and I completely woke him up. I hadn't actually seen he was asleep. It wasn't nasty on my part. I genuinely hadn't seen he was asleep. Um, right, I've got a few notes there, which I'll, I'm gonna, yeah, I'll come back to in a minute. Let's start here. Um, it's Palm Sunday. Now, I know we're in, in, in Anglican church, that's, that's like a bit of a deal, um, in whatever we are, it's, uh, it's not that it's not a deal, it's just a bit like, honestly, I have spent hours, Nick kept saying to me, how's the talk going? I said, well, I've got nothing written. But like hour after hour, and I was saying to God, what is the point of Palm Sunday? Like I get the story, Jesus rode a donkey into town, you know, and they put palm branches in front, all that, like, and? So what? What difference does that make to me? This is 2,000 years later. Come on, God, there's got to be a, there's gotta be a thing. What does this show about what you're like? And what does this tell me about how I can live differently today? Um, well, let's make a start, because there are a few things. I, I have read more about donkeys in the last week than I have ever in my life. And, and I've realised 
that it's not even massively significant. I know that they sweat. Donkeys sweat. That's why they put cloaks over the back of donkeys. So you don't get a wet bum sat on a donkey. Like, I don't think that's a godly thing. I just think it's a thing. Donkeys sweat. There you go. You can have that one for free before we get going. Anyway, after, uh, we're in Luke chapter 19. If you've got your Bible with you, turn to Luke chapter 19. And it is verse 28. I'm going to start in the most uncomfortable way, which is, after saying all of this, Jesus headed straight for Jerusalem. If you want to know what Jesus said, look at the previous verses. So we're in Luke chapter 19, verse uh, 28. The point is, Jesus is now heading for Jerusalem. So a week before Jesus was crucified, he entered into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the key city. Okay, so Jerusalem is a very crucial city to the Jews, still is, um, and it was meant to be the seat of the rule and reign of the king who was therefore uh, like a god, the king wasn't the god. It was symbolic of God's seat being in Jerusalem. So it was incredibly significant uh, and remains so. So Jesus headed straight for Jerusalem when he arrived at the stable's of Ania near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead saying, when you enter the next village, you'll find tethered there a donkey's young colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone stops you and asks, my paraphrase, uh, what are you doing with my donkey? Just tell them this, it's needed by the Lord of all. <laughs> Great answer. The two who were sent entered the village, found the colt, exactly as Jesus had said. And while they were untying the colt, the owners approached them and said, "Uh, what are you doing with my donkey? And the disciples replied, we need this for the Lord of all. It doesn't say what they said then. It just moves on. But obviously they were satisfied with the answer. They brought the colt to Jesus. Then they placed their prayer shawls on its back and Jesus rode it as he descended the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem. As he rode along, people spontaneously threw their prayer shawls on the path in front of him like a carpet. As soon as he got to the bottom of the Mount of Olives, the crowds of his followers shouted with a loud outburst of ecstatic joy over all the mighty wonders of power they had witnessed. They shouted over and over, highest praises to God for the one who comes as king in the name of the Lord. Heaven's peace and glory from the highest realm now comes to us. Some Jewish religious leaders who stood off from the procession said to Jesus, Teacher, you must order your followers at once to stop saying these things. And Jesus said, Listen to me. If my followers were silenced, the very stones themselves would break forth with praise. There's so many crazy things in here. Jesus goes on a donkey. Let me just quickly tell you some of my donkey knowledge. Um, Donkey sweat, we know that. It's it's a weird thing that Jesus needs a donkey and he is Lord of of all. So if he needs a donkey, I'm sure at some point that donkey got returned. He was a different animal, uh, for sure. Uh, I mean, you've had, you've had Jesus riding on your back. That's going to like change you as a donkey, I figure. It's quite interesting that Jesus... <laughs> put that in your notes. Jesus, um, he chose a colt. Now, that colt, that means... It specifically says 
This, this comes up in at least three of the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The cult had never been ridden. So the crazy thing is, that cult would not want to have been ridden. Like it would have been bucking, it would have been very unhappy. Um, it, it, in theory, you know, bucking it hadn't been tamed, it hadn't been broken, hadn't been yet made into a, a functional working animal. And Jesus specifically asked for this cult. Now, in one of the other, uh, in one of the other gospels, it says that Jesus had the cult and he had the donkey, but it, it, it's not massively relevant. The point is, he wanted this cult. Now, in Zechariah, which is a book in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that the king would come riding on a donkey. It's also normal for a king to come in mounted, just not normally on a donkey. It would normally be on a horse or in a chariot or pulling a chariot. It wouldn't normally just be a king sat on a donkey plodding in to Jerusalem. Now, there's some interesting things that happen here, and I'm going to show you two other things in a minute that help to further make this point. But one of the interesting things that happen is, for some reason, people start to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Now, the Messiah is... All the, uh, the, all the way through the Old Testament, the Old Testament is probably last as long as it did, because people had to realize their need of being saved. And the Messiah is the one who comes to save, essentially. So it was prophesied countless times throughout the Old Testament that a Messiah would be coming who would save you. And what they did was they called him the son of David. Now, if you know biblical history at all, that means something to you. If you doesn't, you're like, what does that mean? Okay, so David in the Old Testament, David, David and Goliath, that David... He was, made, he was given promises by God. He said, you will always have a descendant sit on the throne. Always. So he obviously had his natural uh, son sit on the throne, and then another son, etc., like a son of that son, grandson. But he was promised, you will always have a son, you will always have a descendant that sits on, on this throne. Okay? Now, the Messiah we know was coming through the lineage of David. So the descendant of David, the Messiah was going to be a descendant of David. So as soon as they were calling him son of David or descendant of David, they're saying, we recognize you're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one. Unfortunately, they kind of got it slightly wrong because Israel had been promised their own land, the promised land, as it's nicknamed. They'd been promised their own land. That's still contentious, even to this day. You only have to watch the news for five minutes. And they'd been promised this land, but they'd also been told, look, if you don't obey all my commands and follow me, then other people will come and they will take over your land. So at one point, there was literally just a remnant left in Israel and all of the people have been, all the Israelites, have been taken off into captivity and into far-flung lands. And God's like shrugging his shoulders going, I told you, you've got to follow me. You've got to obey my commands. You've got to keep pursuing me. You've got to come up. This, this, is, what, this is what keeps you secure and, and in this place. 
So then what God would do in the Old Testament, he'd raise up a prophet, a mouthpiece, and God would effectively say, say this to the Israelites. And then th- that person would be, would be raised up and would say, God says this to you. Why did you not follow me? If you will only turn from your wicked ways and come back to me, you will see that I will restore your fortunes. And it goes like this throughout most of the Old Testament. Nearly all the way through. And ends up at the end of the Old Testament with 400 years of silence because they're waiting. So what was happening for this time when Jesus was born and then Jesus died, the um, Israelite people... They were in occupied territory. The Romans were in charge. Now, the Romans were canny. They knew that if they gave the Israelites, the Jews, enough scope to be able to live their own life, then they probably wouldn't give the Romans too hard a time. I mean, the Romans were brutal. And if any of them did give the Romans a hard time, then they would be killed. That, that, that's just the way they were. They'd be beaten, killed, whatever. They were a pretty brutal um, outfit, the Romans. But they were canny in not absolutely crushing people, but saying, okay, okay, you can have your temple, you can worship your gods, just don't give us any bother. If you give us any bother, we're coming for you. And that's essentially how the Jewish people, the Israelites, lived in this time that we're talking about now. So... What happens here is Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be killed. God's already told him. He's already told his disciples are going to be killed. And they all said, no, no. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You're not even thinking about what God wants. You're just thinking about what you want. So he's already told his disciples, I'm going, I'm basically, I'm going into Jerusalem to die. So he gets on this donkey, fulfills the prophecy, because he knows, he knows his a king, king of the Jews. He acknowledged that title, one of the only titles he did acknowledge. He's coming in, mounted on this donkey in. People recognize, this is the Messiah. We've heard about the stuff he's been doing. This is him. This is the guy. Come on, let's see if we can make him king. I know, let's get palm branches, yank them off trees, lay them on the floor. Um, that was symbolic of royalty so you, because you didn't want royalty to have to walk straight on the floor so you found things. And you put them straight on the floor. And they said, this is him. But this is the thing. This is where they got it wrong. They were waiting for someone who was going to come and save them from the captivity of the Romans. Not the captivity of sin and a broken relationship with God. So they didn't understand that Jesus had to die because they were wanting Jesus to come in and kick Caesar and get rid of the Romans. Yes, once and for all, we can have our land back. And then they would probably have just carried on this pattern that they did through the Old Testament. Because as soon as things went well for them, they moved away from God and things got really bad. God had to bring someone in. So this is the final person, Jesus. And he came to specifically make a way that people can reconnect with God. So here they are. They're taking their palm branches, putting them on the road. This is the Messiah. He is the one we have been waiting for thousands of years for. He is going to free us from these crushing Romans. Now I'm going to show you something. This is my super prop of the morning. I bought this. You'll like this. 
the words of Paul Daniels, not a lot. Uh, hang on, I've just moved my notes. Here we go. So this is a prayer shawl, a talit. Like this. Now this was worn, as it happens, this is a messianic one, meaning this is Jewish, but messianic Jews are Jews who are still Jews, but believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They are called messianic Jews. So I don't know what your Hebrew reading is like, but in a minute I'll tell you what that says. And in the corners are four scriptures. Now... It would have been worn like this. I'll put it on. You can see. This is... um, One moment. I don't think it massively matters. It would have been worn something like this. They had two different types. This is the lighter version. This is the smaller version. Um, I really do feel like I should be in a a nativity play. Um, (laughs) These are still worn to this day. And so you you have this writing over the top. And these, these are crucial... You have the four scriptures, but these, these in the corner are called uh, tzitzits, and they um, remind Jews when they're praying, they remind them of the commands of God. I'm just going to take that off the top of my head, because I can't see all of you. This reminds them of the commands of God. There's lots of different customs, lots of different um, traditions, and so these can vary. But these, there are a certain number of commands. I wrote it down, 600 and something. 613 commandments. These are supposed to represent 613 commandments. So as people are praying, they pray remembering to keep God's commandments. So they touch, they touch these and remember. The, so this is still the case. So think about what this is doing for a minute. When people wear these, and they would have worn them at the time, and this is what they would have had. There is a bigger version that comes a bit further down your back. It's more like a, it's more like a cloak, but it still hasn't got sleeves. But anyway, it's bigger. It doesn't matter. These were people's way of praying to be right with God. If only I can keep all the commandments, I will be right with God. That is absolutely true. You could be right with God by keeping all the commandments. Trouble is, no one can keep all the commandments. There's only one who's ever done it. But this is what people would do. And on this one, it's wonderful. It says things like, But to you, but to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. I mean, there are scriptures on the corner. I'll leave this out. You can come and have a look. The gold thread means God um, and kingship, all kinds of things. There's so much tradition around it. Interestingly in Mark, where the lady says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. This is what she was reaching for. If I can just touch the hem of his garment. The Israelites were never told to wear these. They were told to wear these. And then they made it into, into this, which is, which is all fine. So this is essentially was their route to being right with God. And they laid it out on the floor and threw it on the floor for the king of kings to walk across because it's not needed anymore. 
And they didn't even realise that's what they were doing. They didn't even realise. I wrote down, I looked up some Hebrew. Um, This is what it says at the top here. Don't forget this is a messianic one. It says, Blessed are you, O Lord, King of the universe, who has fulfilled all of the law through Jesus the Messiah and has covered us. He's covered us with his righteousness. How about that? So this is what Messianic Jews wear today. The law has been fulfilled. This was all about keeping the law. This was all about doing right by God. Jesus comes, they don't even understand what they're doing and they lay it out for the donkey to walk over for Jesus to trample on because he's fulfilled or was about to fulfill. That is not needed anymore. There's nothing wrong with it. People still use them. It's fine. You're not ever going to be right with God by wearing that and remembering to pray certain things. It's a precious, precious thing. It's called a talit, by the way. So from there, this is all in Luke. If you're you're writing this down, which I hope you are, Luke chapter, I beg your pardon, Mark chapter 11. If you just find Mark chapter 11 and just put your finger in that page just for a minute, what I'd love you to do is just get some kind of notepad, some jotty something, and just say to God, what are you saying to me through what we've just talked about here. Just take a moment, just a minute, a couple of minutes, just say, God, what are you saying to me through this? Just take a moment. Okay, so Mark chapter 11, some of you have turned there already. Um, Verse 12 to 14, we see this. The next day, so Jesus rode through the gates of Jerusalem up to the temple after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve to spend the night for it was already late in the day. The next day, as he left Bethany, Jesus was feeling hungry. He noticed a leafy fig tree in the distance, so we walked over to see it there. I beg your pardon, he he walked over to see if there was any fruit on it, but there was none, only leaves, for it wasn't yet the season for bearing figs. Jesus spoke to the fig tree, saying, 
No one will ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples overheard him. This is not a coincidence that this follows Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Because what Jesus coming into Jerusalem was signifying, yes, he was going to die and once and for all beat death. But the significance really was that he was coming in to do away with the old. Why did he curse the fig tree? Well, Nicola Neal helped us out with that when she came recently. He was basically saying to that fig tree, you're all leaf and no fruit. I think Jesus is still sometimes saying to us and to the church, make sure you're not all leaf and no fruit. You look good, but are you actually bearing fruit? It says a few verses later that they walked past there, later on that day, next day I think it was, And the disciples looked at the fig tree and it was completely withered from the roots after Jesus had cursed it. Jesus didn't say to the tree, now they're their tree. Let's talk about the absence of fruit, shall we? I mean, you really do just need to try a little bit harder. We all love to think of Jesus as being a little bit super cutesy, a bit of a buddy, a bit of a mate and that kind of thing. He cursed that fig tree because it wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing. And that fig tree was withered from its roots because Jesus spoke and said, no one will ever eat fruit from you again. Wow. The disciples were amazed. They said to Jesus, look, that fig tree you spoke to, that's weird, anyway, that fig tree you spoke to, Jesus, we just take it for granted, that fig tree you spoke to, look, it's withered from the roots. And Jesus said, of course. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt, but believes that what he says in his heart happens, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you have asked for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That's where that bit comes from. It's in the context of this bit about the all, all leaves, no fruit. So skipping back into Luke 19, we have this section, chapter 41. I beg your pardon, verse 41. Luke 19, Luke chapter 19, verse 41. When Jesus caught sight of the city of Jerusalem, he burst into tears with uncontrollable weeping over Jerusalem, saying, If only you could recognize that this day peace is within your reach, but you cannot see it. For the day is soon coming when your enemies will surround you, pressing you in on every side and laying siege to you. They will crush you to pieces and your children too. And when they leave, your city will be totally destroyed. Since you would not recognize God's day of visitation, your day of devastation is coming. That's exactly what happened. So what we're starting to build up is this picture where he's saying, look at you all, you're all in this sort of faux celebration because you think I've come to rescue you from your enemies, your oppressors being the Romans. I have come to restore your relationship with God and you haven't even seen it. You're all leaf 
and no fruit. You're all nice and shiny, but you're totally missing the point. And so Jesus says, because of that, I'm coming, I'm coming to make a new way. This old is going to be broken down and you're going to see it for how redundant it truly is. In AD 70, I think, around there somewhere, the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem, exactly as Jesus said it would happen, because that's what it was built on. And I wonder for us sometimes, I wonder for me, this has been a tough week, I tell you, with this, with this talk. How much for me am I basing, how much am I all leaf and no fruit? How much is the basis for my faith in God built on everything's nice and shiny or I try and keep it nice and shiny? I mean, look, I even worship. I even lay my shawl down in front of the King of Kings. Look at me. I mean, I must be doing the right thing, right? And Jesus says, wow, these people, they honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is just not what I've asked of you. I require mercy, not sacrifice. And so we have this, we have this kind of weird thing at the moment with Palm Sunday which basically says to us now, Jesus is still trying to come into the church. doesn't mean he hasn't come in. It, it, it works on multiple layers, but Jesus is still this Palm Sunday, this, this often called Passion Week, this week ahead. He's still coming in on his donkey. He's still coming in as a, as a king, but not in the way that many people would want him to be king. But he's coming in low. And he says, Chris, let's talk about the leaves. He says, Chris, let's, t- let's talk a little bit about how you, built, how you built your stuff on, you built yourself around patterns and religion and an old structure. And if I do this, then I'm okay. And as long as I keep doing this, I'm okay. As long as I help a few old ladies across the road, I'm fine. As long as I pray regularly, surely I'm okay. I mean, look at me. Interestingly, when you get a bit further on um, in the New Testament, Jesus says, to, uh, says, I never knew you to some people. Prophetically, he says, I never knew you. And they say, <laughs> I've helped, my paraphrase, I've helped old ladies across the road, Jesus. I mean, did you see me? I walked to the front and put a card in the basket. I mean, I took a chocolate, but surely that's okay, isn't it, Jesus? This is what Jesus says. People said to him, I cast out demons in your name. And Jesus said, yeah, and I never knew you. There's friendly Jesus again, meek and mild, doing lots of stroking and giving us sweeties. And we're saying, God, I'm, I'm justifying myself by the fact I cast out a demon in your name. And he says, I never even knew you. Who are you? Your heart left me ages ago. But have you seen how many rotors I'm on, Jesus? Have you seen? Like, it's amazing. He says, I, I don't know you. Who are you? You left me ages ago. That's pretty uncomfortable, right? I mean, I could give you a more cheery word, but it's difficult to. So what he does then, this is this, and this is the final part. Jesus entered the temple area from there. <sighs> yeah, 
We haven't got time to talk about that for a minute. Jesus entered the temple area and forcibly threw out all the merchants from their stalls. He rebuked them, saying, my paraphrase, I'm going to tell you the right bit in a minute. He rebuked them, saying, you've turned my church into something I never meant it to be. You with your polished rotors and looking good and carrying your big fat Bible in on a Sunday. Please do carry your big fat Bibles in on a Sunday, by the way. You just don't have to carry them up here or get someone walking in front of you carrying it for you. Or... He actually says this. He rebuked them saying, the scriptures, that would be the Old Testament, the scriptures declare, my father's house is to be filled with prayer. A house of prayer, not a cave of bandits. From then on, Jesus continued teaching in the temple area, but all the while, the vicars of the day, the experts of the law and the prominent men of the city kept trying to find a way to accuse Jesus, for they wanted him dead. They couldn't find a reason to accuse him, for he was a hero to the people, and the crowds were awestruck by every word he spoke. My paraphrase, who is this God who's coming in here telling us we're not doing it right? It's Palm Sunday. Jesus is coming in and he's saying, let's talk about the leaves. Let's talk about your justification by rotor population. He, this Easter... He wants, I believe, to remind us that he came in as king. We throw down our old systems in front of him and say, please come and trample on them. I don't want leaves, God. I want fruit. I want to be making a difference for you. I want to be known as someone who knew you. I would love on my gravestone, what would you like written on yours? I would love... Here lies Chris Kimmons. He knew God. That'll do for me. Any accolades that could ever be attributed to me, of which there aren't many, but like whatever you could come up with, it's nothing. There's just nothing. He knew God. I'll take that. Just take a minute in your books, whatever you've got open. What do you want written on your tombstone? I know some of you will be cremated or whatever. Just go with it for a minute. What do you want written on your tombstone? No more than 20 words.
this Easter. The King is once again coming and he wants our hearts. He's not interested in our performance. He's not interested in our religion. He's not interested in our accolades. He's not even really interested in our track record. He just wants our hearts. That's all. He says, I love you. I love you. I love you. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I love you so much. I couldn't bear the distance between us that I sent Jesus so that the punishment that brought me connection to God was on Jesus. He said, I'm going to send my own son and he's going to take your punishment because, Chris, I am that desperately missing you. I have got to know you. I have got to be connected to you. I ache for you. I long for you. And he says that to each one of you. He says, I'm not interested in your religion. I'm not interested in you ticking certain activities off. I've read the Bible in a year, God. He says, good for you. How much of it do you do? Oh, God, well, I fasted. Yeah, so do lots of people who are dieting. But God, you, you, I, I've given money at times. Yeah, out of your surplus. It's like you can't win. Whatever you say, God's got an answer because actually all he wants is our hearts. That's it. Bottom and only line. He just says, I just want you. That's it. And this Easter, I would encourage you. What does Palm Sunday mean? Jesus is coming. And one day he is coming back. But Jesus is coming. He wants to trample on all the old stuff, on all the old systems. He wants to check your leaf to fruit ratio. And if you want to know what an acceptable ratio is, you're missing the point. <laughs> let's just, we've got a few, let's, a few minutes. Let's see what God wants to carry on doing in the room. And maybe can we stand if, you, if you're able to? That would be good. I think we've got time. We'd love to invite people um, to come to the front. This is, this is who I would love uh, to come to the front. If you, from what I've said this morning, feel you, aren't, you, you feel in your heart like Jesus is coming for me this Easter. I want him to go through my leaf-fruit ratio. I want to lay the trophies of my 
man-made right standing. I want him to go through those and trample over them with a lowly donkey. If that's what you want this Easter, you're inviting him. You say, I know he's coming. I get it. And I want him to keep coming and come up to me. Then I would invite you just to come out the front. Should I would have thought it would be many of you. So just come out literally now. We haven't got long, so just come out right out to the front. <clears throat> come right up to the platform. Because if people don't want Jesus this Easter, then I can only think they want Easter eggs. <laughs> and uh, just come all the way forward. Yeah, just keep coming out. We haven't got long, so um, just make your way out now. Just maybe put your hands out. You don't have to, but it's just a way of saying, I'm open to you, God. Palm Sunday, God, what is the point? The point is, the King is coming. The King is coming. The King is coming. I'm not going to highlight anybody, but there are some people stood out the front who God says, if you can give me your sin this Easter, like you know what it is. You'll know if this is you because immediately you'll have just thought of something in your head. If you can give me that this Easter, I will take it from you. It'll be gone. That habit that you've been in, it'll be broken. There are some of you who have been asking God for a greater uh, intimacy, a greater connection with him. You, you want to feel him more rather than just serve him. And God says, the king is coming. This Easter, I'm going to meet you. For some of you, you've carried stuff. You've carried shame over decisions you've made. And God says, this Easter, the king is coming. Give him those things. He'll take them to the cross. And you will bear them no more. If you take nothing else from this morning, remember these four words. The King is coming. Be ready. 
God is lining up encounters. Some of you, you're going to get woken in the night. Some of you are going to see angels for the first time. Some of you are going to see prayers that you have been praying. Someone here has been praying something for just over 11 years, like 11 years, two months, 11 years, three months. I don't know who that is. Can you just put your hand up if that's you? Such a specific amount of time. It might be someone online, but is there someone here who's been praying for something for just over 11 years? You might not even have recognized that's what it is. Whoever that is, God's about to deal with that issue after this length of time. He says the king is coming. It's time. Let's sort this. And the last group of people is, uh, I see for some people this Easter, that this Easter is going to be like a doorway into another level with God. You have to go by the cross. There is no other route, but you go by the cross and you leave some things at the cross and God says, come up here. And there's another level that you will operate in that you've never lived in that level before. You've sometimes caught glimpses of it. You've looked up and like caught glimpses. It's all metaphorical, of course, in pictures. But God says, come via the cross this Easter. Leave it with Jesus and come up higher. If that's you and you know you want that, just acknowledge that in your heart and say, yeah, God, that's me. I'll have that. And I'll lay down whatever I need to. And leave it at the cross. Thank you for listening to Numa Sunday's podcast. For more information, go to numachurch.uk, where you can find more ways to connect with us. Have a great week, and remember you're loved.